Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. We're joined today by four-way Irish champion, Jim Rock. To look back at the weekend return of, of big-time boxing to Dublin, but the deflating defeat of Katie Taylor by Chantel Cameron, with Dennis Hogan and Gary Cully also suffering defeats at the Tree Arena. It's also the five-year anniversary of the death of legendary trainer Brendan Ingle, revered in Britain for his feats out of Sheffield, working with world champions Nassim Hamid, Johnny Nelson, Kel Brook and Junior Witter, but an original from Dublin, from Bath Avenue, one of our greats. Jim boxed out of the Winkle Bank himself for a period during the 1990s, so we'll be talking about that later in the show. But first to the Docklands, which has become something of an unhappy hunting ground for Irish fighters, with Taylor following Matthew Macklin and Bernard Dunn by taking losses at what used to be called the point. Jim, you were ringside on Saturday night. Yeah, I was. Um, disappointing night for the Irish. Um, I mean, the three main fights, the three Irish fighters all get beaten. Um, bad night, bad night for Irish boxing. Um, sad night for Katie. Um, but again, like this is boxing. There's two people who went to the ring, and you have a 50 50 chance of winning, so you have a one and two chance, really. You know, and although you have favorites, and you know, the bookies will say, Oh, such and such. I mean, like, you know, whoever wants to win the most sometimes wins the most. What did you think watching the fight? Did you enjoy did you enjoy the fight? Uh, the main I event? thought it, I thought it was a great fight. I thought like it was very entertaining. It was it was you know it, it was a very fast-paced fight. Um I just thought Chantel Cameron from from the war, from the force bell, she just exerted her, you know, she, she was she looked to be the stronger girl. She looked to inflict her will from the start and carry that on for the whole fight. Um she just looked bigger and stronger than Katie. Yeah, and it was a, it was a it was an elite uh, professional performance from a professional boxer as well. It was full of aggression, body punching, accurate straight punching, and um, yeah, it was just too much for Taylor on the night. I kind of thought during it when Taylor rallied in the second half of the fight, we were under pressure, like with uh, media deadlines and stuff like that. Next, so it was it was difficult to score the fight. Well, you're kind of nearly writing your report in order to hit your deadline the minute it's over, but. Uh, you could tell that you could tell that Cameron was on top, but at the same time, I thought Taylor was trying to answer everything back, albeit in a rushed, almost desperate way. So when when Cameron would clatter her to the body, Taylor was responding back with twos and trees to the head. But just everything wasn't getting through. She, I thought the sixth round was fantastic, and Jim, I have to say, by the end when they were raising hands, I wasn't sure who was going to get the nod because we'd seen Taylor win tight fights, um, and I wasn't sure who was going to win when the first one was a draw. Did you think Taylor had a chance, or were you fairly sure Cameron's got it? I thought Cameron had won the fight, you know, and I thought I thought it was like, you know, obviously like we're Irish and we were loving Katie to win. But I think if they had raised Katie's hand, I think it would have been, you know, I think it would have been wrong. 
Mm. You know, um, I think the girl, like she, like she done everything that she should have done. She had a game plan going out. Her game plan was to go out there and um, fast pace, be the boss. And she she used her size. I mean, like, I, like not so much when they were fighting, but especially when they were standing on each side of the referee when the when the fight was over. The size difference. I mean, the width of her shoulders. I mean, she was just so much bigger. So, and she used that. Now she has a she obviously has a great trainer in in Jamie Moore, and he obviously studied Katie, and he had his game plan, and they. They worked their game plan very, very, very well. Um, I didn't think Katie threw as many punches as she normally would and as she normally does. I knew she threw she threw some good combinations, but not as many of them as she normally did. So I just thought that either she had a bad night or, you know, is father time catching up on her? You know, and, and, and it happens to every single fighter. Um, I mean, she's 36 years of age. 36 years of age as a lightweight is, well, although that was light welterweight, but like that is, that's old in boxing terms. Most certainly, yeah. And like she was a reigning world and amateur champion, like world and European amateur champion 16, 17, 18 years ago. It's it's an awful long time at the very top of her game. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, you can go to the well so many times, but I mean, like, eventually sometime, you know, you go to the well, but there's nothing there. And I mean, she did look tired. Now, like, like, you would hope that it was just a bad night that she had, that it's not father time. There's a suspicion because uh, I think even I heard Hearn suggesting it afterwards in the post-fight press conference. Because Taylor seemed to start slow and finish kind of strong, that she was conserving her energy. She knew she was in a big challenge against a, a heavier opponent. Do you think she should take a rematch? Do you think she can win a rematch, uh, be it at 135 or 140? Do you think she can make adjustments? If she did start slow on purpose in order to conserve her energy, she can she can box differently and beat Cameron in a rematch? Look, at, I mean, like, if it was just, I mean, like, like we we've all went out and fought and we've all went out and trained and sometimes you know there's just nothing there when you're when you're training you know what I mean you can try your heartstrings out but for some reason your body is just saying listen I'm not doing this today and we just have to hope that it was that was the that that's what happened to her on the night um like I would say that Cameron is what she's four years younger I mean I would say yeah, we're going to five see, yeah nearly five. Right? So I'd say we're going to see a better Cameron next time coming out because psychologically she's going to be, you know, she's going to say, look, I've done this already. I can do this again. I can do it better next time. So we have to hope that Katie can sort of up the tempo um, and prove that it was, you know, a bad night at the office as opposed to fatal time catching up on Yeah. Do you think it was the right fight to take, Jim? Um I, I I've, I've gone on the record and said I don't think she should have fought Cameron in her homecoming. There's enough pressure on her in her homecoming, and also she fought around the world. Like I don't, I don't believe in boxers, top boxers taking easy fights either. But like we saw Saul Alvarez, Canelo there take, got a homecoming against uh, John Ryder. That's not an easy fight either. John Ryder's a top guy, but um, when he fought back in Mexico for the first time since 2011, he fought John Ryder. You know, gave it gave the fans 
a spectacular show and they all they all went home happy saw their hero who's kind of maybe on the other side of the, his best days they saw their hero give them a glorious win and they all went home happy I thought Taylor should have picked a similar type of opponent the likes of Heather Hardy or someone like that bring her over get her backstory out to the media and the press she's a symbol of women's boxing Taylor's a symbol of women's boxing she's good enough to fight Amanda Serrano next and Taylor would have got the homecoming over with and then maybe for Crow Park look at a more uh, more difficult opponent a Serrano to Chantel Cameron if that's the fight you're determined to take and I know look Taylor's the boss she decided who she wanted to fight she called out Cameron but and I know you're close to Brian Peters, Katie Taylor's manager as well. But I I just don't think it was a a great business fight to take, especially given that they're trying to grow Irish boxing and they're trying to bring through a generation of fighters on the shoulders of Taylor. It just I had a suspicion it could go wrong, and it look it it did unfortunately on the night. Um, no, I think she was right taking Cameron. I mean, like Katie Taylor, people have to realize Katie Taylor is she's unique. I mean, like mm. she she's a, you know she's a freaking H I suppose in terms of. She's a boxing phenomenon. Um, she wanted that fight. And I think, she, like, you look at all Katie Taylor's last fights, they were all against top quality opponents. I mean, and they've all been wars. So she hasn't had any easy fights. Well, I have to, I think, I mean, I have to query it, like, because I know, like, Taylor's fought everybody, right? She's got the best CV of nearly any any female boxer out there. She's fought, like, Natasha Jonas, Delphine Pursuant twice, Amanda Serrano, but there have been kind of mandatory defences. Like Jennifer Han wasn't a big name. Karatabal, her last opponent prior to uh, Chantel Cameron, wasn't a big name. And there's Sharapova as well. I think she was from Kazakhstan, Taylor Fort. But they were hard fights. They were hard fights, yeah. And most of them were mandatory defences. But, you know, I, th- I thought there was room in there to slip in a, a little, you know, a little, a little gimme for the fans, you know. I don't, but I don't think, I think Katie Taylor wanted a tough test for her homecoming because I don't think she buys into that oh I'm going to have an easy fight I'm going to have I'm going to have you know a voluntary as opposed to a mandatory Katie Taylor in her in her head she's the best fighter in the world so Mm. she doesn't see why she shouldn't fight the next best Oh, and and look I mean I think her her legend it's obviously already secure but I see her as an even greater fighter for taking the challenge and look she stepped up a weight division against the undisputed champion she got a draw on one card she only lost by like the odd round on the other two cards so I, I see, still see it as a good performance and you know she's added to her own legend but I'm talking like on a business on a business perspective I don't think uh, I know, but she's not, she's has, not, has done a good job here but she's not the businesswoman so she's not the businesswoman she's the fighter and she's the one who picked Cameron I mean yeah, you I'm say sure. no to her you say no this is not what we're doing well, yeah. How many times, Jim, did you as a fighter want to do something and they say to you, well, that's not what you're doing, Jim. You know what I mean? You're doing well, something else. I've only torn down a few opponents and that was because, that was in my later in my later period because they were too old. I, I, I remember I said to the Brian Peters loads of times, I says, I'm not fighting anyone under, I'm not fighting anyone over 30 years of age. I said, I don't want, I want the fellas younger. I want the tired of fights, you know? Um, but I mean, you know, I don't blame Katie. Like, I admire Katie for taking Chantel Yeah. I admire her, you know. And I understand why she took the fight, why she opted for the fight. You know, and, and like, people were nervous about it. What I mean, like, we wouldn't be having this discussion if she had have won an extra two rounds and she had to come out on top. You know, people would have been saying it was a great decision. 
Yeah, it was a massive risk and uh, yeah, fortune favours the brave. You know, so I mean, like, I, I think she was right taking the fight. I mean, in hindsight, she wasn't right because she got beaten. But the question is, did she get beaten because Cameron was just had the better tactics on the night and Katie didn't fight well, as opposed to Cameron being a better fighter? Jim, here's a question I was asked on 2FM there last night, and it threw me because I wasn't expecting to be asked it. And I don't feel it's my place to even say, to even really give my opinion on it. Although, you know, perhaps I'm in the sports journalism business and maybe it is, but should Katie retire? She's done everything. You know, she's Olympic champion, undisputed world lightweight champion. Fighting gets more difficult and more dangerous the older you get. You know, she's 36, 37 now in July. She'll be 37 when she fights again. She's done it all, Jim. Like, should she retire? I don't see. I don't think it's up to anyone's. I don't think anyone has has an input into when Katie Taylor retires, um, and I don't think they should. Apart from Katie, her mom and dad, her trainer, and her promoter. I mean, apart from that, me, you, or Jack the lad down the road, it's nothing to do with any of us. It's none of our business. I mean, Katie Taylor is in the gym day in, day out. She's with our trainer all them times. I mean, he can see how well she's doing. He'll know by how, you know, if she's getting tagged, if she's getting hit, you know, he'll be able to see the decline. So, I mean, like, if she's still able to do it, she should keep on doing it. I mean, George Foreman was 45 when he bet. Was it Bruce Seldon for the World Heavyweight title? Was it Michael Moore for the World title, wasn't it? Was it Michael Moore, right? There yeah. you know. But don't so, they say, don't they say, is it like, I mean, What's the objective of boxing? Get in, make your name, change the game, make your money, win, win every title you can possibly win. What more is there to achieve? I guess maybe that moves us on to, do you think, do you think she's going to get to fight at Crow Park or you know maybe the Aviva Stadium or something like that? Because that seems to be, she seems to be chasing a rematch. She's determined to get one. I don't, I, I think the suggestion is she's not going to, Cameron is going to be her, her obsession for now for the next couple of months until she gets her back in the ring and uh, maybe gets a stadium show in, in Dublin. Do you think she, do you think that's going to happen? Um, well, I think there's a rematch clause, so mm. like I, I would I would hope that if she does decide to fight again, that she gets Cameron again because, like, I don't think it'll make any difference who she fights. I mean, like she'll want Cameron for for herself for her mind. She'll want to be Chantel Cameron, and she'll want to sort of prove to her fans and to herself that she had an off night. That it was a flute, you know, that Cameron had a lucky night. You know, and, and it does happen, like on certain nights, you'll box out of your skin. And Chantel Cameron being the being the challenger, even though she was the champion and it was her belts we were fighting for. But I mean, like Chantel Cameron was fighting an A-list fighter. I mean, Katie was the A-list on the night. Um, and I think Chantel Cameron, like, she was really up for that fight. I mean, she had everything to prove. So Let's see, can she do it again? Yeah. Uh, we saw Deirdre Gogarty at ringside at the Three Arena. Do, do you remember Deirdre from back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, making her name? She was a, a trainer. So we, I was in St. Xavier's Boxing Club when she started boxing. And uh, I remember, I remember, I, I have a book at home there. She signed one to me there. And she said, it was great to be training with you, Jim. But uh, I said to her at the time, I said to her, like, when I was chatting to her a couple of years ago, I said to her, like, I didn't like that you were in the boxing club, Deirdre. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like that, you know, and again, I was only 16 years of age. So it's like, it's 35 years ago, but I mean, like a girl boxing, I mean, it was just unheard of. And not only that, 
So when we were in the gym, there was Pat McCormick and John McCormick. So they were the two main trainers. But Pat McCormick was training her all the time. So theoretically, if there was 30 boxers in the gym, the 30 boxers were being coached by John and Pat was given all his time to Deirdre. And it was like a little jealousy thing. <laughs> Why is she getting all the That's attention it. of Pat McCormick? And, but I mean, like, you know, looks great girls, went on to do great things. And uh, she's a lovely girl. Absolutely gem. Did it take you? So obviously at the time you were one of those, uh, you were one of those dinosaurs, Jim, as they call them now. You were a, a rockosaurus. I, I was definitely, did not think that women should fight. Um, I, my, I have a girl who's 30, 31 years of age. She lives in Dubai now. And when she was about 14 years of age, her mom rang me one day and said, oh, um, Kirsten wants wants to fight, you know, wants to box. And I said, well, she's not boxing. I said, boxing's not for girls. I said, pour her into football or maybe even kickboxing, but she's not boxing. It's just, so I, I won't have had to do her boxing. That was it. So she never boxed. And then hence, then my daughter, then my other daughter comes along 10 years later. And I didn't want her to fight either. But what happened was we used to go for breakfast every Sunday with Pete Taylor in Bray and in a little cafe called Malaya's. And uh, I must have went to the toilet or something like that. And while I was at the toilet, my daughter said to Pete, oh, I want, Pete, I want to, and Pete said, yeah, come down to the gym tomorrow. So when I came back, then Pete says, oh, Casey wants to fight. I just looked at him like that. And he says, I told her to come down to the gym tomorrow. I said, but yeah, yeah, dad, he said I can come down. I said, all oh, right, fair enough. Then. So I brought her down. He put her, in, he put her in sparring and she sparred in Katie's nephew, uh, Jake. Um, Jake is in the, there's been the seniors and that now, you know. And uh, she got a good few thumps. You know, is I mean, that, I was looking Jake, like that. Jake Rappel from Moonstown, is that? No, not Jake like, Rappel. No, no, no. no um, um, I heard this story before. Jake, Jake Taylor. Jake Taylor, right. Okay. And uh, she was sparring him and she was also sparring against uh, young Matthew Tindall. And she got a good few tons off him. Because they're the same age and all. And they're only young kids, only seven or eight years of age. And uh, I was saying, right, she had to get a few tons. And you don't like, I hate seeing my daughter getting punched in the face. Like, and I've seen her getting taken some whoppers. And uh, to be and we'd look at like that. Say, For fuck's sake. But anyway, but she has this sort of, you know, as Pete Taylor to say to me, did you see her getting the dig? And me, yeah. And you see what she done? She went straight back in at them and did He said, like, where did she get that from? I, mean, I know where she gets that from. But that's the fucking problem. I said, I don't want <laughs> my daughter in there. But again, now she's on the high performance team. So she's learning, you know, she's learning really the art of boxing as opposed to fighting like me that's just getting in there and having a go at least she's learning how to duck and dive and blah de, blah you know so uh, look you know all, all you can do is support your children when they're doing something like that even though initially I was anti-girls boxing that's just that's just the way I was there's nothing I can say about it I'm not yeah. going to dress it up anyway you know that's that's life well it's gas even how uh, Katie Taylor's presence almost probably had a had a hand in like we talk about Taylor being an influence and being a game changer and all, and sometimes it can sound like empty platitudes, but like there is, the proof is in the pudding. Your your daughter started off boxing in Katie's club, and you know now she's on the Irish High Performance Team, so you can nearly trace a direct line. 
Yeah, Jim. my daughter says, like, if it wasn't for Katie Taylor, she said, she always says, like, she's doing an article there the other day, and she said, like, my dad got me into boxing. She says, but if it wasn't for Katie, she says, I wouldn't be still boxing. Yeah, absolutely. What did you think of the wrestling night, Jim? Uh, Dennis Hogan finally got his homecoming, um, you know, I think 36 fights between Australia, the USA, Germany, you know, did everything, Mexico, done nearly everything there is to do in the game and gets his homecoming, but was in tough against JJ Metcalf and, uh, you know, fell to a defeat. What did you make of it? Yeah, again, it just, Metcalf, you know, look, you can see, like, the pedigree he's from. I mean, Shane Erie. I mean, like, you may have been looking at Shane Erie in there. The build, he just looked like him, didn't he? He fought like him. He was relentless. He was just very strong. He was very rugged. Just like his dad. He was just uh, just uh, like a train going forward and unstoppable. Um, it was sad for Dennis. Um, I was looking forward to like Dennis coming and 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 defending his world title successfully, you know what I mean? Because he uh he had a great fight to win it and he's he's had some other great fights like against was it Manuga or Mungia in, in Mexico, yeah, in Monterey. Yeah. I think he, he he clearly won the fight. Everybody around the world thought he won the fight. Yeah. Mungia kept his belt, was quite protected at the time by Golden Boy and uh So and, like and like, you know m- Hogan went home empty-handed, but like an uncrowned champion. He got a good uh, a crack at the WBC middleweight title after that against Jamal Charlo. That didn't go his way. But, you know, he's had a, he's had an incredible career at this stage. And whatever he decides to do at 38, I think he's been a brilliant servant of boxing. And he probably might be listening to this and thinking I'm uh, I'm retiring him. But I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing that. And uh, if Dennis feels he has a lot more to offer the sport, I'm sure he, he will. But you you yourself won a, like a, an IBC world title. Dennis won an IBO. And I mean... Some people can denigrate some of the belts, but you yourself know that all these years later, it, it means a lot to, to win them. It does mean a lot to win them. I, don't, it does, I remember, like, you know, the, who was the IBO? Who was the, um, the IBC champion? There was a fella called Stephen Smith, and he had the IBC title, and then he went on and fought Ricky Hatton. I don't know if you remember that fight. And his... The referee stopped it, I think, in the second round or something. And his dad jumped in the car, jumped into the ring. And I think his dad then got suspended by the British Boxing Board and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, like, for me to fight for the IBC uh, world title, I was delighted to fight for him. Uh, like, it's a world title. Now, Sugar Ray Leonard fought Roberto Duran for that title years and years earlier at the same weight. And I always say, like, if it's good enough for Sugar Ray Leonard, I'll tell you one thing, it's certainly good enough for me. Although it's only a small version of the world title, you know, but um, and I think the one Dennis Hogan had the IBO, I think that's that's a more prestigious world title than the one I had. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. You know? Yeah, um, but um, you know, I don't know why I uh, I didn't think that I didn't think he fought great. You know, again, I I don't know whether whether he took JJ Metcalf lightly, you know, whether, it, you know, like psychologically, whether he said to himself, listen, I was in with Charlo and I was in with uh, Monega or whoever you pronounce his name. And, um, you know, this fella isn't, isn't up to their standards. So like, uh, it won't be as hard. But Metcalf had that bit between his teeth. You know what I mean? Like this was his chance. This was his shot. And he was like he was relentless on the night, 
Yeah, and, and, and look, the way it was the way I was scoring, I thought it was pretty close as well. Obviously, Hogan had a point docked in the last round for like losing the gum shield more than once. And had he won the round 10? Five, nine, I think five times. I think about five, five times. Yeah, it was a lot, wasn't it? It was. I think he could have uh, He could have got a result. I think I don't think it was enough, actually. Um, on my card, I would have gotten a result, I think. But on, on, other, on the ones that mattered, it wouldn't have done it. I always, like, I always score for the aggressor. That's the way I score fights. Now, I'm, I'm always for the aggressor. The fellow who comes forward all the time, as opposed to the, the slick skills or anything like that. I love the aggressor. So I'll always go for it. Like, I've refereed a couple of white-collar fights, and I always say to them, like, I'll be talking to them beforehand, and I always say, listen, lads, right, I'm going to be refereeing your fight. You know, you just uh, don't want any naughties or anything like that. I'd say, I'm going to score it very fairly. There'll be no draws, because I hate that draws. You always get drawn. I said, there'll be no draws. I said, and you see, even if the fight is a draw, see whoever is the most aggressive and comes forward the most, that's who I'm going to put down as the winner. Right. And, and okay. That, you know, and, and and that's because I like I like that style of fighting. And it's the same when I used to do the commentary and all that. Like sometimes I used to get stick off people. Um, this we so far used to always give me stick, and I'm sure he does a podcast now. Um, I think of his name now in a minute. But he used to always give me stick over Andy Lee, because I used to sort of say that sometimes that, and like I used to always think that Andy had boxed the head off anyone for seven, eight, nine rounds. And then sometimes I used to think in the last round, he used to just, I don't know what it was. He just used to get caught and tagged. Yeah, no, he did it early in his career. He absolutely did a little bit. Yeah, he had a kind even of... Even in the last, even at the end of the fights, you know what I mean? So, um, but there was one fella used to get on and he used to be like, always when I finished commentating, he'd be always on Facebook and he'd be fucking, yeah, you never give him a chance. And I said, listen, I said, I scored a fight. I said, the way I fight, the way I, I said, I like fighters aggressive. So obviously Andy was a boxer, was a stylist, you know what I mean? Like, and he was absolutely terrific, but I always used to back, I used to always say that Macklin had beat Andy Lee. And I remember saying to Andy when I was talking to him there a while ago, I said like, like for all the times I used to just back Macklin, and then Macklin didn't get the world title, and Andy Lee did. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, you know, like, and, and Andy's just, he was terrific. But I just used to, I always just preferred the more like the fighter well, style. I think, well, I think what Lee was able to do in the higher caliber, more elite fights when he found things were maybe getting a little bit hairier than he were in the lower level fights. And that's when he was really able to pull out the one punch, the, the real, the damage and knockouts. Oh, unbelievable. And that's, he was able to, he was able to do it at a higher level, at that really high level, pull out the, the cannon, the equalizer. Yeah. And, it, and it won him, it won him his world title. Saved his career against John Jackson. It 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 finished uh, Rune Puro, Craig McHugh, and it finished him that night as well. So Lee was able to win when when shit was flying. He was yeah. just able to pull it out of the bag, and we that's probably why we didn't see it in some of those RT fight nights when you were working on him against Faliga or whatever. Although he did stop Willie Gibbs with seconds left, uh, but against some of those guys, Belgica Sham and and stuff like that, he there wasn't as much danger. And he didn't. He didn't need to really pull out the big guns. Maybe that's what we were seeing by way back then. Yeah, maybe so. But anyway, like I, the point I was trying to make was that, like, like I always want Macklin to do better than Andy, and and he didn't. Andy was the one who went down and won the the WBC World yeah. Middleweight title. Well, we, we still I mean? think I still think Macklin beat uh, Felix Thurm on that night, uh, June twenty fifth, twenty 
2011, all those years ago uh, in, in Cologne, wasn't it? Still thinking. Yeah, it was, it was in Germany. should have had yeah. that one, yeah. Were you at the stadium that night as we were? I was. It, in the stadium? Yeah, in Germany? Stadium. No, we were in the National Stadium that night for a fight night. Patrick Island, Philip Frenois and uh, Spike. Oh, no, I was, I was in Germany. You were in Germany, yes. There you yeah, go. Yeah. There you go, the big boys. Um, look, we're going to go from... Uh, oh, yeah, and last but not least, on Saturday night, we saw Gary Cully. Um, Coming against Jose Felix, I, I, thought, you, I, I thought he got a clip in the second round, which maybe should have acted as a bit of a warning, be a bit more aware, because Coley started to unload in the second round, and he's had five big knockouts, you know, in a row, looking like a real knockout artist. And I thought he got a little clip in the second round, which maybe should have said, be a bit more wary, be a bit more cagey, but Felix threw that shot from his boots, didn't he? And uh, what did you make of it? Yeah, I thought it was a great punch, um, and I think he just didn't recover from the first knockdown. Mm. Um, I was sitting where I was sitting Shane Early was sitting in front of me obviously because for uh, for a son and he turned around to me just when that fight started and he said to me Jim he said this fella is a serious puncher and I said ah yeah I said he's totally not. he said no he said don't worry about the knock he said he's a serious puncher he said Cully's got to be very careful here and then when that happened he just turned around to me he said I told you didn't I you know just ah. I mean, it was it was terrible for him now because it was it was a bad not like I mean like, and I think the referee gave him a, did give him a good chance to every chance every chance you know and and maybe maybe give him too much of a chance in one regard because there was a time you thought that he might get hurt you know there was a time when he was in the corner like and it looked as though that like you know he, he was there he was there in body but he wasn't there in mind yeah yeah I think yeah. He, like everybody wanted Cully to get to the bell but there was thirty seconds left there was a long there was. I think nearly a minute and a half left when he was first hurt. And yeah, it was a long way to go. Um, and he was out on his feet. Yeah. Like, look, at it's, you know, unfortunately, it's it's the same old thing that happens. Like, they say big punchers are susceptible to getting knocked out as well. You know what I mean? And I don't know whether it's because they know they're such big punchers that they throw caution to the wind and don't protect themselves as much as, let's say, the fella who hasn't got the, big, hasn't got the dynamite in his hands. You know, because yeah. you see it with you see it with a lot of big punchers. Like they tend to be, when they get tagged, they go down themselves. You know, we chatted started. about it before on this podcast with Neil Sinclair. He had that very problem. Of course, so and, and, and there's loads of there's loads of big punchers. You mm. look at all the big punchers, like, and I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know whether you're gifted with that punch power. But he says, but listen, God says, well, listen, I'm giving you that power. But listen, I'm going to make your chin a little bit weaker than. Uh, than your opponents because he doesn't have the power you have or something. You know, that sort of way. Yeah. Because it always seems to be that way. And look, we, we, we'll never know. Had Cully survived that round and uh, not got tagged, he might himself have forced a stoppage in the very next round and we'd be talking about him as the next headliner. He's got to go back now and rebuild. He put out a post on social media today said he's, he's you know, he's ready to go again. He was back in the gym. He's happy and he's healthy and that's the main thing. And uh, I think he can be back. I, I, I think it's a bump in the road. I think it's something that he can probably rectify. But that's it. Like, you know, I don't know whether, I don't know whether he might go up in weight, maybe. I don't know whether, I, I don't know if he if he struggles to make that weight. I think Pete Taylor was telling me before, he doesn't struggle to make the weight or something like that. Um, he is huge for that weight. You know, like he's six foot three or something like that. Yeah, you know he's I mean? huge, yeah, enormous fella. I mean, if you didn't know he's a boxer, like you'd be sort of, you know, you'd be sort of sending social services to his mother's house and say, listen, you better start feeding that chap. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> 
But, you know, look, it's it's only a blip. Um, it may seem like the end of the world to him at the moment. You know what I mean? Like, it's only a blip. He can come back from it. Um, he has that gift. He has that gift of power that, like, a lot of fighters don't have. So, I mean, like, he can go back to the gym, walk on his defense a little bit more, and go again. I mean, he's young. Uh, as opposed to, like, Katie and Dennis, I mean, like, they're 25 and 27 years of age or something like that. So, like, they don't have the time that Cully has. Cully has loads of time to go back to the job board, you know, get another couple of wins and go again. Now, they call Gary Cully the diva. But back in 1996, Jim, you were working with uh, people like Jerry Halliwell, Prince Nassim Hamid. You remember the famous Wink Winko Bank. Uh, great days for you, I'm sure, back in the day. I wasn't working with Jerry Halliwell in, in 1996. Were you not? It was a bit later. I was a bit later. That was 19... That was just a, ch- a cheeky link there, through it, that was, you know? That was 1999. Okay. I can give I'm, you the exact... Yeah, I can tell you what sort of clouds were in the sky at the day. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. How, how did you... What were you, Jerry Halliwell's personal trainer or boxing trainer or something like that? Yeah, I trained her in... Um, I met her here in Dublin. I was asked by Caroline Desmond... Um, would I would I go and meet her? And I went down to to the O2. There was a concert on, and uh, I remember when I went into the green room where she was. Jerry Ryan was there, and he, he always he didn't know me, you know. And, and he goes, so he stood up, and he goes, "Oh, Jerry Ryan, DJ." And I said, "Yeah, I know who you." Are. I think he thought I was fucking from England or somewhere like that. So I said, "Yeah, I know who you." Are. But anyway, so I met Jerry and chat with her, and then then I got a phone call. Yeah, listen, she wants you to train her. So she came over here um, just before their world tour and they she hired a castle in uh, down in Wicklow called Kiltegan, uh, Humewood, Humewood Castle in Kiltegan. So she hired the whole castle. And I used I trained her every day down there. And uh, lovely girl, very nice. We just done boxing training. And uh, funny, funny story. Like, so I trained her for a few weeks and so of course loads of the papers were on saying, you know, Jerry's in glove and me and Jerry were <laughs> yeah. and uh, then she went then they had a world tour they kicked off a world tour here in Dublin and uh, then they went to America and then I was getting a couple of calls off the off the English press and all that oh you know we hear you're doing a line with Jerry Hallowell and I used to say no I'm not yeah, but she's doing a line with an Irish boxer. And I said, no, no, I'm not doing a line with her. I just trained her. And then she uh, then she had a row with the Spice Girls. She left the Spice Girls. And I was in Belfast training. I had a fight coming up. And I used to be in Belfast Monday to Friday. And I'd come home on a Saturday to my house in Greystones. And I pulled into my house in Greystones. And when I pulled into the house in Greystones, next of all, two cars, boom, just flew down to the to the, to me, to the edge of my house, boom, jumped out. Paps. And I never saw Paps really like that in Ireland. Yeah. So have you taken a few pictures? Have, have you got Jerry Hollowell with you? I said, no. I said, the fucking train lads. I'm just saying, are, are you hiding Jerry Hollowell? Is she in your house? And then is she is she pregnant for you? And is that why she left the Spice Girls and all? You know what I mean? I said, lads, get my fuck off. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, I've loads of kids as it is. I said, for fuck's sake. I said, I've yeah. learned... I'm not falling into that trap again. I got I got a vasectomy about ten years ago, lads. Will you leave me alone? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. Um, 
So uh, I always like, to be honest, like I always think lads are mad getting a vasectomy. I know loads of fellas got a vasectomy, got the fucking snip and all that. And then they split up with their missus. And then their missus gets someone else and has a kid for them. I say, what a kick in the nuts. I know, yeah. I saw a picture of you there, um, just doing a bit of research for this, a picture of you there with Jake LaMotta. Didn't he have a kid at about 91 years old? I think Robert De Niro's expecting a child now. He's 77. Robert De Niro um, had a kid, I think. Didn't, a, did he have a another kid. one last a, week? Or yeah, something? had a child recently, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. I don't he know. Didn't I'm have 51. It, I don't want that anymore. You know what I mean? You never know. Well, I mean, like, listen, I've seven grandchildren. I don't want to have fucking kids. Like, I don't want to have grandkids older than me kids. Yeah, worse things have happened, I see. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I suppose, but anyway, no, it, I won't. Unless I get a new board, I mean, my wife wouldn't like that, do you know what I mean? No. Uh, back in uh, back in 95, about 96, I think it was, Jim, you went to work with Brendan Ingle, um, who was set up at the Winkle Bank in Sheffield. He, his mission in life was taking bad kids, making them good kids, and taking good kids and making them better. How did you end up at the Winkle Bank, uh, Jim? I believe it was after you signed for Frank Warren, and he said, this is what needs to happen. Is, is, that, is that correct? More or less. So I was boxing for, when I turned pro, I went pro with a fellow called Mike Callahan in Belfast, uh, whose, fa- whose son-in-law is John Breen. So I was training with him. I had my first two fights uh, on, on Collins's bills. The first one in the point, second one in Mill Street. And then fights three, four and five were in the Ulster Hall under Darren Corbett. And once or twice during that five fight, during my first five fights, I got asked to fight in Dublin. Um, on one that was on the Nassim bill, I think, and Griffin and all would have been on that, and the other one was in somewhere else. But anyway, Mike said no. He said you're not fighting on the bills in Dublin. Like you know, unless McGee is on the bill, we're not. He's are boxing together. He's are on the same shows. And blah, blah, blah. I said, right, fair enough. And so we left her at that. But then what happened was after my fifth fight, he took McGee to uh, to America. You know, and like there was not a word about like, right, so you're not allowed to fight without McGee, but eh, McGee is going to fight in America without you. You know what I mean? So I saw they got a B and B bomber and I said, oh. so while they were away in America, um, I'd been talking to Roddy Collins had said to me a few times, oh, of the Frank Warren and blah, blah. So I went over and met Frank Warren and signed with Frank Warren and he said, well, listen, you've got to train in Brendan Ingalls. So um, what I used to do was I used to do all my training in Belfast still. And then I just go to Brendan Ingle for say three or four weeks or something like that. But when I fight, when I'd fight, you'd give your man, you'd give your trainer ten percent. So I'd give Brendan Ingle me ten percent, and then I'd come home and I'd give John Breen ten percent as well because John Breen, in my mind, was was doing as much work, you know, and was my trainer all year round. But um, so I went over to over the Winkle Bank and. Um, I like I didn't like the sort of I didn't like the way they fought. I mean I found it very hard to uh, first of all it was body sparring, you know, and like it was uh, like when you're doing body sparring, I mean when you're over there like flyweights will be sparring against heavyweights. You know, whereas when you're sparring head fo- headshots, it's sort of middleweights against middles or middles against light heavies or welters against light middles or something. But over there, anyone spares anyone because it's only body, it's only body shots. But it, I found it a different way of a different way of doing things. But uh, but you just couldn't help but love Brendan Ingle. I mean, like he just had the gift of the gap, and 
he just made everyone so relaxed and uh he'd stop training in the middle of like we'd, we'd every there'd be 50 in the gym and next all he just stopped training and go and he just called one of the lads and he said help go up here to the ring what's your name and they'd say oh my name is spencer o'toole and oh, what do you want to, oh i want to be a professional boxer i want to learn okay let's sing a song so they have them singing songs like and everyone in the gym like i'm fucking looking at them like this and this is like a fucking circus but what it was, was he was instilling confidence in these. These kids were like, you know, they were shy and timid. They were probably bullied in school. And he was getting them to do things like this in front of everybody. Like, like it was, it was, it was unusual, but like, it was very, very clever. And did you, did he have a, especially, did you have an affection for him as a fellow Dubliner as well? He was obviously an Irish man, made good in um Make good in in England, well accepted in in British boxing. I haven't had, like battled to do so. He was quite unorthodox in his ways, and he he always felt he got the short end of the stick as an amateur coach. And so he he kind of found a way to kind of shut up and play the game really. And uh, he was accepted in British boxing, and he obviously had a stable on the rise, spearheaded by Prince Nassim Hamid. But did did you get on with him particularly as a fellow Irishman, or was he one of those fellas? It didn't matter if you're from like like you say Yemen, Somalia, or Dublin. I know I got on I got on very well with him. Um, you know, I, I found him to be a smashing fella, like a really nice fella and a very interesting fella. And this is the thing with Brendan England. That's this is why he was so successful with all the fighters, and especially with kids, let's say, that had, you know, came from, you know, whether they came from um poor families or they had problems or they were getting in trouble in school or something like that. He talked sense, you know, he talked very logically to them and he talked to them in their language. You know, he, he talked, he had a way of getting to these kids and getting them to listen to him. You know, like he'd always talk stories in the gym and he'd, he'd get everyone around him. And like it was so unorthodox the way he done things like this. You know, they all respected him so much. You know what I mean? Like he was he was loved. There's no doubt about it. Um, the last time, the last time I seen him was in about... Probably about, say, I don't know, maybe 2011 or 2012. But I flew to England one morning and uh, with a couple of lads and we bought a few cars and we were meant to fly home. But I said to the lads, Come on, we'll, 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 we'll bring three of the cars. We'll, we'll drive down to uh, down to Hollyhead. I said, and we get the rest of them brought home by trucks, you know what I mean? And we'll bring them home. So the lads went on and I said, well, I'm going to stop off in Sheffield on the way. So we're driving from Manchester down to Hollyhead. I just diverted to Sheffield, went to the gym, because the gym is only across from his house. And I went into the gym. He's over in the house. All right, fair enough. So I went over, knocked on the door, boom. His wife answered, oh, Jim. She says, come on in, Alma. And brought me in. And next of all, I could smell that there was dinner on, you know. And uh, so Brendan said, will, will you have some dinner? I said, ah. He said, no, no, Alma, put half my dinner on the plate there for Jim. So she... Put the dinner, half for him, half for me, at the dinner, fucking dessert. Give me half his dessert as well. <laughs> An absolute gem. I, I, like I'm always. I was telling this his 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 son Dominic about this the last time I was talking to Dominic. You know, and I said like, yeah, dad was just a great man. There's just something, something magical about him. You know. Yeah, that's a that's a rare trait. All right, he'd give you the shirt off his back. Did you? Um, we were talking earlier on about you know your love for come forward aggressive boxers, and that's the the sort of traits you like to have yourself. You know, l- looking for a dust up, 
you know, looking for a war. But that wasn't really the Ingle way. It was, it was, you know, protect yourself at all times, be flamboyant. Yeah, you had a bit of, you had a flamboyant streak yourself, but it was in terms of footwork, dancing around in the ring, maybe not exactly a, a perfect match for you. And I'm sure there were lots of other fighters who were who, who were brought in to to try and do it the, the Ingle way. What was your experience of the Ingle way in terms of boxing? Well, I can tell you that when I started off there first, I was getting like I couldn't get to, I couldn't get the grips right. I mean, I was going out there and there was little youngflas like like they were just running rings around me because they're all into this switch hitting and. Uh, great footwork and they're flying around and I just couldn't I couldn't get them at all I couldn't get them and then like you had the likes of uh, uh, Junior Witter you remember Junior Witter? Yeah, yeah so I remember one time I was sparring in there I sparred Junior Witter and next of all so Junior would would let go with the odd headshot by mistake so I got a, a black eye and I remember I was in the gym the next day and uh, Nassim says to me, he says to me, I'm the only. I said, Junior, with her. I sparred Junior yesterday. He says, how do you do that? I said, how do you fucking think? I said, he just let one fly. I says, accidentally on purpose. So the next day we're sparring again and uh, Dominic Ingle says, well, Jim, you and Junior are in again. I said, yeah, fair enough. So I went in. So I went to kill him. You know, and uh, after the fight, Dominic, after the spar, Dominic just says to me, I remember the scene, he just says to me, Rock, you're an animal, he says. <laughs> but again, it wasn't headshots, it was just body sparring, but I just, like, I just went to town on him, you know what I mean? And Junior was over here, uh, I think about two years ago, he was at the Monkstown Box Cup, because he's a trainer now, he trains amateur kids, oh, and we were chatting away. And I said to him, I said to him, remember the time you gave me the black eye? He said, no. I said, you gave me the black eye. And then I, uh, he said, oh, is that why? He said, I could never understand why you were, why you were like that. <laughs> he says, why you kill me? I said, yeah, that's why. I said, so, <laughs> now you know, <laughs> 20 years now, later, now you know. Uh, now you know, 10 years later, but however. What was that? Like, obviously Nassim uh, re- remains an enigmatic figure and people will love hearing stories about him and, and still love watching his highlights. He's, he's still you know, got an enduring quality and, and people are still mad about Prince Nassim Hamid. And some and some hate him, you know, some hate him. And he fought in Ireland. I remember my parents going along and they were disgusted by what they saw from Prince Nassim, you know, his showboat and disgusted. But uh, what was your experience being in the gym with Naz like? Um, look, I sparred Naz a few times. Um, he was really, he was very pally with Paul Griffin. Really pally with Paul Griffin. Um, more so than me. Um, but he, he was a nice fella. Like I like I was chatting to him a few times. I thought like he trained very hard, um. But he obviously was, he, he, you know, he he was the king of the castle over there. So like whatever he wanted to do, I mean, like he could come in late, but no one else really came in late. You know, he could sort of do what he wanted. But um, I mean, he was exceptional, and his punch power, like you just, uh, I mean, it was it was unheard of. I mean, for a, a bantamweight, come featherweight, I mean, like. He used to hit the bag. You could see the punches, like, and he was hitting the bags as hard as the likes of Pele Reid and uh, um, Johnny Nelson and all that. I mean, because you can tell when people are hitting the bag by the clatter of the bag and the dint in the bag and so on and so forth. He was hitting the bag 
as hard as them lads were. So he had exceptional power. And could you ever could you ever see? Because you'd be a good people watcher, I'm sure, and you could probably knew more about Brendan Ingalls mannerisms and his body language and what he was really thinking probably more than others because he's a fellow dub and you, you'd get it did you ever see like because at the time maybe Nassim was starting to get a bit more independent and move move aside from Brendan maybe the, the, the cracks in the relationship were starting to form did you ever see it up close no I didn't I didn't see that now to be honest I, I mean I could see that Nassim um you could see he had little, like sometimes he'd say things um, that no one else would say. You know what I mean? But Brendan was so was a very calm individual, and like he wouldn't he wouldn't let out and he'd just say like, "Come on, just do that training or something like that." Um, but no, you, I I didn't see the I didn't see the split coming. But because um, I think that came, I only stayed there from ninety six. 96 and 97, I think, you know? So I think they split after that, didn't they? Yeah, it was further down the line, I think. All right, yeah. Did, but like, Brendan, like I was reading back through the Paddy and the Prince, the story of like the rise of Prince Nassim and how Brendan Ingle, you know, developed them like from the seed, like almost like a father-son relationship. Um, but he had a streak, Brendan had a, like a defiant streak as well. I think when he fell out with Harold Graham the first time, they never really said what Graham did to him, but they had a personal falling out and uh, Brendan Ingle planned to kill him in the gym one time. Did you know that? Like he, he planned to bring an iron bar in, bring him back to the corner and lump him, and kill him. Like, so Ingle had a, like he was, you know, he had a, he had a streak in him as well that he could only be pushed so far, I suppose. He wasn't a, and maybe Nassim ended up treating him a bit like a pushover in the end, but. Uh, oh, well, I, I don't, I don't know about that with her, but see, that would have been, so that would have been sort of probably. Before you were there. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been sort of 10 years before Naz was there. And you know yourself, as you get older, you get calmer and you get wiser. So what would have affected Brendan Ingle 10 years earlier? I mean, he was obviously through all that. You know what I mean? So he, uh, he, you know, he was probably a lot calmer and a lot more wiser when when the same problems arose with Nassim Hamad. I suppose, uh, Jim, one part, uh, one reason why uh, Brendan Ingle's legend endures so much, and I think he's probably under underappreciated in Ireland, but I understand why, given he did his best work in Britain and in Sheffield and, and Yorkshire, where he's beloved. I suppose one of the reasons why he's loved so much is because, yeah, he had his world champions and he had his British and Commonwealth world champions as well, but I suppose it's about the hundreds or even thousands of other lives he changed. You know, young men who walked in through the, the boxing gym maybe waifs and strays, bullied kids and bullies and found themselves kind of choosing a different path in life. And, and like you would have seen it yourself in the amateur days back in Ireland training with like Joe Bean, Tony Davitt, John McCormick, Peter Perry, even John Breen up in Belfast as well. So all the trainers that you had, that's kind of the power of boxing, isn't it? And, and, but it takes a, it takes a, like a great sort as the, uh, as the chief, the trainer to, to bring these kids on the straight and narrow. Yeah, you find with with boxing trainers that a lot of them they're not just boxing trainers. I mean, they're father figures. They're they are friend. They are father figure. They are confident. Sometimes they are barrister. You know, I mean, like I can remember like my manager coming to coming to court. He didn't come to court for me. He kept the court for one of my brothers. Actually, one of my brothers was in trouble and. Uh, he knew my brother just drew me and he came down from Belfast 
into the court and I was in the high court and like spoke on behalf of my brother because he knew my brother through me and knew he was going through, you know, um, uh, he, he was a heroin addict and he was in trouble and, you know, he'd done some serious jail time as well. But I mean, like Mike came down and spoke up for him and the judge absolutely loved him. Loved Mike Callahan, like, you know, um, but that's what, that's what trainers do. I mean, they take fighters into their houses they take them under their wing. They 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 feed some of them. They clothe some of them. You know what I mean? They like boxing trainers do be like a lot of times be more of a father than than their own fathers do be. We we talked about uh we talked about loyalty and 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 some of the great trainers have fighters from the time that they start off. And I know obviously maybe your answer might be biased because you've got a great relationship with Pete Taylor and stuff. But do you think? Maybe if Taylor's, if Katie's Taylor's supposed to win a rematch with Chantel Cameron, might she benefit from a little change there? Might, might that be the tweak she needs to, to win a rematch, to close out her career victorious? But she's, I also gather she's an intensely loyal individual. She started off her professional career with Ross NMA. They became first world champion, then unified world champion, then undisputed world champion. They've, they've become two-way world champion. They fell short in the attempt to become two-way undisputed world champion, but do you think maybe a tweaking trainer, maybe going back to Pete Taylor or a different coach might be enough to just get her over the line? Or like we said earlier on, maybe father time is just that opponent too many. I don't know. Like, I think, um, I think like the, the partnership between Ross and Katie, I mean, Ross was never a boxing trainer before Katie, but yeah, he's done remarkably well. So I don't think that, Anything, uh, a change in that department will help her. You know, like, I'm, I'm not one of these that, you know, people, if a fighter loses a fight, it's the fighter who loses the fight. It's not their trainer. I mean, if, if her trainer has got her, how many wins has she had before that? 20 22 fun. professional wins. 22 professional wins. So, I mean, like, he's had to get her 22 professional wins and he's after getting her, fighting some serious fighters and beating them. I mean, like, when Katie, in her fight, let's say, was letting her hands go, you know, trees and four punches, she was catching Chantel Cameron, but she wasn't doing enough of it. And that, to me, was down to her body, not like the energy levels not being there. So I don't think it was that, that the train, I think it was more to do with, I just think she had a bad night at the office. Or like we say, could it be father time catching up her? I don't know. It could be. It's either one or the other. It's either just a bad night at the office or else she just hadn't got it. I mean, we know she's super fit. So we know that like her fitness levels are, is very good. But if she is, like, if she's just getting old, if age is catching up on her, but then she's not going to be able to throw as many punches as she used to be. And, yeah. and we just don't know if that was the case on the night. But it's nothing that Ross did. Yeah. Jim, just before we go, um, I was disappointed we didn't get Matthew McConaughey at ringside in Dublin. You know, he's been here before. Yeah, he was. He? I'm sure he's a big fan of Katie Taylor, or is he? Uh, you tell me. Oh, I don't I don't know, because I haven't been, uh, I haven't spoken to him now in years, you know what I mean? But he'd done my corner for one of my fights here in Dublin, and uh, I had him, like, I had him in Mountjoy Prison and all. I had him in the prison, and he was fighting me in the prison, like, with all the prisoners around us and all that. Um, he's just a real cool dude. Um, I'm sure if he 
if he wasn't, let's say, so busy, don't forget, he lives in Texas. He's not going to fly over here for a fight. But uh, if he, if it, like, if his schedule had a, uh, if he was over here, I'm sure he would have went to the fight. You know? Get in touch if the fight happens at Crow Park, or I think they should go for the Aviva Stadium myself. Katie Taylor being a, fo- a former Ireland soccer international. And the women's national team are just about to start playing matches at the Aviva Stadium after the World Cup is over. I think she should aim to fight there. But yeah, get Matthew McConaughey a text. Fly him over. Go on. He'll <laughs> <laughs> enjoy it. But uh, look, we leave it there, Jim Rock. We've reflected on loads. A disappointing and deflating night at the uh, at the three arena, but one that I think probably in the long run is going to add to Katie Taylor's legacy because she did take the fight that no one, you know, a lot of people thought she shouldn't. Uh, deflating night for some other Irish fighters, but as well as that, it has to be said that there were some bright spots and good performances from Paddy Donovan from Limerick, Thomas Carty, a thriller of a fight against Jay McFarland. Had a great fight. I thought he boxed absolutely brilliant. I was delighted for him because to me, he's just an ordinary jump soap. You know what I mean? Like he's a real down there fella. And uh, I, I, I seen him walking around with his belt and he was fucking truffed. And yeah. I remember, like, I remember when I won before his belt myself in the basketball arena. And like, you know, it was like I won the lotto. Like, it's like you're carrying around the lotto with you. Even though the belt realistically didn't mean much to most people. But I mean, like to me, it was, you know, because that's all I wanted was a belt. You know, it's all I wanted in professional boxing to get a belt. So I yeah. mean, like Thomas Cardi, he sort of reminded me of myself. He, I could see him like, the, he, he did a fucking grin on him like from, from yeah. ear to and all the way around the back of his head. I think it was the whole way around the face. Of the I got him just as he was leaving the ring. I said, Thomas, how do you feel? Or do you, know, do you think this is going to get you a matchroom deal or what's the crack? And he goes, all I'm going to say is, show me the fucking money. <laughs> screaming it into the phone, you know, I'm recording him. He was, he was on cloud nine. He was chuffed, yeah. And, and, and from Belfast as well, even Nagyarko as well, he's back from an injury, uh, I think 10 months out. And I think it was, it was getting to him. It was getting down. You know yourself, when you have a long injury spell out, you might think, am I ever going to get back? I think Agarco was a relieved man to get back and do 10 rounds and he's back yeah, in the horse as well. He fought very well as well. I, I'm, I'm Paddy Donovan. I mean, he's an exceptional talent, you know. Exceptional. Yeah, so, yeah I think like he's thrown himself up. I think he's thrown himself up a couple of notches now on the uh, on the, on the the hopeful list or the, the prospect list because, you know, that fella he fought there has, has boxed for a British title and he was completely outmatched by uh, Donovan who was, you know, he was on point all night. So, yeah, it's not all depressing. It's not all bad news. No, it's not all depressing. And like, and I mean, like, the lads, like, our three defeats, I mean, two of them were, were 10 rounds. Two of them went the full distance. Do you know what I mean? So they went and shut out defeats, right? Cully was just unlucky that he got caught with that punch. And But I mean, like, that's the thing with when you're a, when you're a knockout puncher and you're an a knockout puncher. I mean, like, it's like what they say, don't blink because it could be over in seconds. Yeah. And that's what Absolutely. Well, look, we'll leave it there with Jim Rock, the Pink Panther. It's been a great breakdown of uh, the events that were just just have come in Dublin, and also a fond look back at uh, the great, the legendary Brendan Ingle. Gone for five years this week, but sad, sadly missed, no doubt. Cheers, Jim. Good man. Thanks very much. Bye.